Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy. We're going through the book and we've just begun. So uh, turn there in 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you're using one of our Bibles that's there in the back of the seat in front of you, it's on page 1409. 1409, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to focus on verse 3 and 4, but I want to read for us uh, verse 1 through 7. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. In this, uh, in this passage, we see Paul getting right to the purpose of his writing, and he's, he's explaining uh, not only why he's writing, but he's explaining why he wants Timothy to stay in Ephesus. As you see there in verse 3, um, apparently Timothy and Paul were together, for a while well we know that they were but they were together in Ephesus and then Paul wants Timothy to stay in Ephesus but Paul has to move on to Macedonia and he says there in verse 3 that that um, one of his main purposes in insisting that Timothy you've got to stay there you've got to stay in Ephesus because there's a problem and there's something that you have to do about it and you see, he uses that, word, that, that phrase, so that. You always, your antenna needs to go up every time you see that because there's a purpose being stated. It says in verse 3, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on, it, remain on at Ephesus so that. Okay, so here comes the purpose. This is why Paul is insisting that Timothy stay in Ephesus. He says, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. You notice that he says there are certain men. So there's an identifiable group of men. There's more than one. Later in the book, he's going to actually mention two names, but we have reason to think that it's, it was probably bigger than that. Maybe they were the two worst or the two ringleaders, but... But um, there was this, it's not everybody that has this problem, but there are some. It says, you've got to instruct these certain men. You've got to tell them what to do. And he says, you're going to tell them then two things. To stop teaching strange doctrines. So these people were teachers. And from this verse, as well as some others, we, we come to realize that apparently they were leaders in the church, probably elders, 
in the church or, or um, pastors of some sort. And so they were leaders, recognized leaders in the church who were teaching, but they were teaching the wrong thing. He says, tell them to stop teaching those things and to stop paying attention to, to these things, he says, which we'll look at in more detail in a moment. There's a great concern on Paul's heart for the truth. A great concern that, that um, the truth be that which is focused upon among the people, the Christians of Ephesus. Of Ephesus. You know, if you go to our, um, our church website, just for fun, how many of you have ever, raise your hand if you've ever looked at our church website on the, oh, that makes me feel good. Okay, great. Uh, it, you remember if you stay there long enough, these words flash on the screen, right? There's five of them. Truth, worship, growth, relationships, and impact. It's interesting. We, we had some people back when we were thinking through some of the direction of our church and which way we wanted to go. We had some people from outside the church that were sitting in these discussions and prompting us and helping us think. And we were coming up with some words that captured or um, some of the emphases that we wanted to have as a church. And we suggested these five. And I, I remember that there was a little bit of a counter suggestion that, well, maybe, you know, the last four kind of fit together. Worship, growth, uh, relationships, impact. That's kind of what we're going to do. But that first word, truth, kind of is different. It doesn't kind of fit as well with the other four. But we squashed that really quick. You want, you want us to take the word truth out of there? We're not going to. Because th- that's where it all starts. And, and without that, the other stuff kind of can get mishmashy after a while and, and, and uh, lose its, its direction and, its, and the, lose the touch of God on it. That's what we want. Truth. Paul, the apostle, is concerned about truth here. And you remember we said last week that in 1 Timothy... Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit, so it's, it's God through Paul, is going to help us uh, realize more of the implications of and more of what it means to respond to Jesus Christ. How do I respond to Christ, both as an individual and with my brothers and sisters in the church? How do we respond together? And in this concern and in this uh, um, instruction to us on how are we to respond to Christ... Paul begins with an emphasis on the truth and the importance on the truth. He wants us to stay focused on the truth and not to get distracted from it. And this truth, you see, came from Christ. Amen? Jesus Christ handed a message and a body of truth to the apostles. And then those apostles handed it on and They wrote it down, and it's embodied in this book. And so this message has come from Christ through his apostles into the scripture, and now we have it. And what I want us to see in the the time that we have this morning, the way I'm going to organize our thoughts, is I want to look at this message and see four characteristics Four characteristics of the message 
that the apostles received from Christ and which, and which they handed on to us and which we, we have in the scriptures. There's more than four, but there's four that I see in these two verses, verses three and four. First characteristic is this. This message that's come from Christ, it is unchanging. It is unchanging. You see there in verse 3 again. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. <clears throat> That's the way this uh, translation reads, strange doctrines. It's interesting. Um, when it says strange doctrines, it doesn't mean strange in the uh, sense of weird. It's not saying Stop them from teaching these weird things. Although when we look at it in the detail in just a second, they were kind of weird. But that's not actually the word he used. It actually is the word different. So he's saying, stop these men from teaching a different teaching. It's different is the word that's used. And that raises the question, that begs the question, different than what? Different than than what? Well, the answer is different than the message and the teaching that they had received. Different than that. You remember up in verse 1, it was just last week, we saw that Paul's apostleship came by a command from Jesus Christ. Do you remember that? It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, God commanded into the life of Paul and and he made him an apostle. Paul received his apostleship from Christ, but Paul also received the message from Christ. The apostles received the message from God. They didn't, they didn't make it up. And it was a message that came and it was supposed to stay that way. Don't change it. It is what it is. Just pass it on. When Paul was writing to the church in Galatia, and we call it the book of Galatians, they had a problem there too. It wasn't exactly the same as the one in Ephesus, but in, in, its, in, in a principle form, it was the same thing. They were starting to alter the teaching. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians 1, beginning at verse 6. He said, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. I think Paul was, he felt strongly about this. He's saying there was a message that we received from Christ and we gave to you. Now, he said, he said there in Galatians, he says, even if I come back to you, I come visit you again and I teach you something different, I should be accursed. And even if an angel comes out of the clouds, out of heaven, and comes and tells you something different than what you received, let that angel be accursed. Because the message is the same. The apostles received a message from God. 
They passed it on to us. It's written now in the scriptures. And every generation of Christians, we are each tasked with keeping that message the same, not changing it. Amen? You know, this message, the fact that this message is from Christ and it means that it's unchanging sits that even just to talk that way um, sounds a little bit odd to many people of this generation. This generation, there's a lot of talk about postmodernism. And I don't want to get off on this and get all academic about this because that's not what this morning is for. But there's a lot of talk. You've probably all heard about postmodernism and and um, and there's some legitimacy to that. New generations are thinking differently than the older generations. There's no question about that. We all know that. But what does it all mean and how important is it that's being argued about? John Stott, though, he said this. He said about First Timothy here. He said, this differentiation, meaning between false doctrine and true. Remember, Paul is saying, you've got to teach this. Those guys are teaching something else. You've got to stop them from teaching that because it's different. This, this sounds really weird to a postmodern person. Stott says, this differentiation between false doctrine and true strikes a discordant note at the end of the 20th century and the beginning of the 21st. Indeed, one of the chief tenets of postmodernism is that there is no such thing as objective truth, let alone universal or and eternal truth. On the contrary, everybody has his or her own truth. The, the message of the scriptures um, is that there is truth. Amen. And whether that sounds weird to you or not, or whether the culture has programmed you to think that that doesn't sound right or not, that is actually what this book is saying. There is truth, and you can know it. In John chapter 18, Jesus is being, he's being tortured, and he's in a trial. And he's before Pontius Pilate. And in the beginning of verse 37, it says, Therefore Pilate said to him, to Jesus, So, you are a king? Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? The first postmodernist. Wait a second. There wasn't even modernity then, much less postmodernity, but there was Pilate. Ah, well, think about that for a little bit. Postmodernism is really not that new. What is truth? You know what? Who are you going to line yourself up with? Who are you going to sound like when you talk about truth? Jesus? Or Pilate. Postmodernism and all that they're saying, they're lining, they sound a lot like Pilate to me. But I want to sound like Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
One of the applications of this this uh, that we're seeing here in First Timothy to us is that we shouldn't be out trying to find a different message. And we don't have to rework the message that we're passing on to others. We just have to find opportunities to proclaim it. And some people in the um, name of trying to be sensitive to postmodern people, be, and they say, well, we're just trying to find a different way to say the message, but in emphasizing the differentness of everything, they begin to change the message. And for some of you, as I'm speaking, you're, you're not, this isn't gripping you as like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is really true. This is, you, you haven't noticed it. I had a very, very uncomfortable conversation recently with a, a well-known Christian leader, not in our church, and I will re- that person will remain nameless. And I came away, someone with great influence, and I came away from that conversation. I'm still bothered till today because he's changing the message. He's departing from the gospel. And he's doing it in the name of trying to be sensitive to postmodern and postmodern audience. But he's not just changing the way he's saying things. He's changing what he's saying. And friends, this is, this is running through the, the North American church. But what I want to say to you is that as I understand the scripture and as I believe it's true, friends, the message doesn't change. It's the same one that Jesus handed to his disciples, to his apostles. And the apostles handed on and the spirit of God made sure it was written down. It's this message. Amen. I'm all for being sensitive to who I'm talking to, to try to make it sense to that, to make sense to that person. But the message stays the same. It is unchanging. Second characteristic of the message that the apostles received and have handed on. It is trustworthy. It is trustworthy. Look again at, at, uh, well, at verse 3. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. And then he comes in verse 4. Nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation. It's interesting, speculation, you can see from this, this verse, verse 4, speculation is the opposite of what God wants. Speculation is uncertainty. It means that there's answers that we're not sure of. We've got answers, but we're really not sure if they're right or wrong. And it's the opposite of what God wants. Paul's telling Timothy, when you teach this message that God has given, it doesn't end up with just speculation about, well, it could be this, could be that. I'm not really sure. No, he says there's, there's some trustworthiness to this. And then you note what they were teaching. It says, don't pay attention, tell them not to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. There was some sort of mixture and we don't know the details of it, but we don't need to. There was some mixture of the genealogies of the Old Testament, and then they attached myths to certain people's names. Matter of fact, in Titus chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, 
Paul is talking, wrote to Titus the same time he wrote to Timothy. They were in different places, but they were having some of the same problems. And Paul said to Titus, this testimony is true. Notice the truth again. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths. And then he goes on. There he adds that word Jewish. So there was a use of the Old Testament, some kind of fascination with the genealogies. And then they mixed in all these stories about these people in the genealogies. And yet, as they're talking about all of this, that's half, most of it's made up, but there's some of it's true. And that's always the worst kind of error is where it takes the scripture and distorts it. But there's some kind of combination of it all. And if that wasn't bad enough, though, now they're saying that this is really important. This is important. This stuff is important for your salvation and for your growth. But it's all built on something that's not trustworthy. All of their, this construct is all built on something that's not, it's not trustworthy. It's not solid. I remember the year when, one of the years when we were in Africa was an El Nino year. And I don't know what it meant to you, but boy, it meant a lot to us because we didn't have any paved roads anyway. So, and then the rivers came up at one point, the water was so high that we couldn't get over bridges to get back into the town where we would get supplied things. And we were kind of on a little muddy island. (laughs) It started to dry up a little bit. There's still raining. I mean, it rained and rained. It just kept raining. Uh, Kim Stangley at that time was the nurse that was there. And we, we had um, mother-child health clinics and villages that the government health uh, network couldn't get to. And we were reaching out to these people. But for a while, we couldn't even get to those villages. And then, then we thought, we decided we could. Now, you know, of course, that something's bad is coming. So in those days, Kim didn't have her, the medical vehicle wasn't there yet. So I would drive her and the other people that were helping. We loaded into our big land cruiser and off we went up to these villages. See, we were in the bush and then these other villages, I don't even, I don't know what you call it when it's farther in than the bush, but whatever that is, we were going out there and driving along lots of mud. And I remember driving along this one section and it looked good. It looked like it was good. And the car just went. And I got out and looked. It was, it was amazing. Uh, because it looked solid. I thought, what in the world? I mean, it just sank. The mud was all the way up over the wheel. I mean, we were in there. And uh, I, I remember I, was, I got around the front of the car and I, I, didn't, I went like this on the earth. I just went like this, and it went, I said, I don't believe this. So then we got a a big pole off of a tree, a stick, and I punched it, and the first inch or two was dry and looked good, and then it just, you went went through it, and it went, and it was just like soup under there. The place had rained, it had rained so much and there were certain areas where underneath almost it had formed like little drainage areas and we had driven right over it. Unbelievable. The car was just like buried. 
one half, it stuck out. We opened the door on this side and it stuck up into the air. So we got the people together and there's a little trail and uh, Kim, bless her heart, said, well, we still got to do the clinic. The moms and the babies are coming. I'm like, yeah. And they said, it's that way (laughs) on this trail. And we got a local person and I prayed for her and off they went. You know, it was a couple miles yet to go. You know, she's just walking off through the forest. It's like, wow, this is going to, I hope she comes back. You know, so then... We cut a tree down. We rolled boulders over there. We used the tree to pull. I mean, I worked, we worked all day just to try to get that out of there. It looked like it was trustworthy, but it wasn't. It looked dry. It looked firm, but it wasn't. You know, Paul is saying to Timothy that the, the message that comes from God Not only is it unchanging, it's actually trustworthy. You can build your life on it. What are you depending on in your life for the real big decisions that you make? Are you depending on myths and endless genealogies? Are you depending on on advice and dreams and things that look right, that they look trustworthy, but are they actually trustworthy? What are you depending on? You know, we're in the football. Um, I'm sorry for all you Eagles fans to remind you, but we, we're in the uh, postseason. And I wish I could remember the guy and the team. And I actually, I don't remember this, but I really heard it. I remember watching an interview with some guy who was on a Super Bowl winning team. But I remember him saying, he says, you know, I worked so hard. And for all those years, my dream was to win the Super Bowl. And I look forward to that. It's got to be the greatest to win the Super Bowl. And he says, and we made it into the playoffs that year. And we kept winning. And we got there. And we won. And I thought, is that all it is? It's like... I'm the same person. It's really not that great. I just won the Super Bowl. But everything else is the same. What what are you depending on? Is what you're really resting on to give you fulfillment and happiness and wholeness and completeness? Is it is it trustworthy? You know, there's an amazing passage in 1 Kings 17 where Elijah the prophet had been, he'd he'd stay at this couple's house. And we don't know much about the husband, but the wife made sure that Elijah was taken care of. And anyway, he wound up healing, healing their son. And in verse 24, the woman said, this is amazing. It says, then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. And that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Is that beautiful? Have you come to the place in your life where you look at Paul? You can't really talk to Paul. Okay, he doesn't hear you. But you look at Paul and say, you know what? Now I know, Paul, that you're a man of God and that the word of God that's in your mouth is truth. It's true. It's trustworthy. 
Psalm 119, 160 says the sum, S-U-M, the total, the sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Jesus in John 17, 17, in his, in his prayer at the end there, he's talking to God and he says to them, he's praying for his disciples. He says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. This message that's come from the apostles, that's in the word of God, is trustworthy. Third, third characteristic. And in a sense, we've already said this, but it's important just to say it really clearly. This message belongs to God. Amen? It's it's his. It belongs to him. Look at verse 4 again. It says, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Now, this is the hardest part of this verse to translate into English. That word underneath it, the word administration, it can be translated in different ways. Some Bible scholars think the better way to say it is to use the word stewardship. That's, that's what it means. And actually, some of your translations actually say that probably. So it's a, it's a stewardship from God. That could be another way to read this, which give rise to mere speculation rather than the stewardship which is from God. A steward was something that was common in the day of Paul and, and Timothy. A, you, there were like a wealthy, a well-to-do businessman that had business interests in different cities. So here he is. It's his, it's his home city. This is where he lives most of the time. And he's got a big operation going. He's got inventory, livestock. He's got employees, servants, his family. And he runs things while he's there. But, but he's also got something over in the next town and in another one in there. So when it's his time to go there... There's no U.S. Airways or anything like that. No cell phones. He's, he's going to leave on a trip. Nobody knows when he's going to get back. He gets his steward. And he says, now, this is what I want done. And he runs down the list. And, he's, and he says, you're, you know, you're in charge. And then he leaves. Now, that steward has to manage the whole operation. He has to administrate it. That's why the word administration is used. So he buys and he sells. He hires and fires. He pays people. He's in charge. But here's the deal. None of it belongs to him. Amen? It doesn't belong to him. It does, it's not his. But he's operating the whole thing. He's making all the decisions. And when the owner gets back, he's going to give an account to him, not according to what he wanted to do with it, but according to what... The owner wanted done with everything. These men that were causing a problem in Ephesus were leaders in the church. And they'd forgotten that this was a stewardship from God. In 1 Corinthians 9 verse 17, Paul says, if I do this, that means carry out his apostolic role. If I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to to me. As leaders in the church, elders and pastors, it's not up to us to figure out what we think we want to do. 
It's up to us to figure out what God wants to do and be, be the best stewards of the message and of his people as we can. These men had forgotten that. So stewardship here is contrasted with speculation. They were breeding speculation and unanswered questions rather than remembering that they were stewards of, a, of property that was God's. It was not their own. And for us who are elders and pastors, I'd say to you brothers and to myself, we've got to stay on target. We've got to stay on target and treat our task as a stewardship from God. Not for us just to invent what we want to do, but for all of us, whether you're an elder or pastor or not. This reminds us that we've got to take what the owner gives us. Amen. The message, we've got to take it. It comes, it comes from Christ through the apostles to us. And we've got to take it and realize that this, this book is, this isn't mine to decide what I like and what I don't like. This is from God. Either I take it or I don't take it. But I don't just take part of it and disagree with the rest of it. You know, people do that. I'm going to divorce her. It's just, it's just too much of a hassle. Well, actually, God says that you can't do that. I, I don't care. I'm going to do it. Well, are you a Christian or what? You say you take this message. Or you, you say, well, I like, I like this part. This part over here I don't like. So I'll take this part. I, I, I enjoy drinking. I, 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 I like being drunk. I, I, can, I can kind of escape, man. You don't understand. There's a lot of pressure. and it's just, it's just, I sober up and I work okay. But, well, God says you can't be drunk. Right? Didn't I read it? I thought I read that in here. Yeah, but I, I like to. Well, I don't care. <laughs> Did you take this book? This isn't your property. It's God's. You either take it or you reject it. But you don't just read part of it and reject the rest. I don't... <laughs> uh, you know, this tithing stuff, this giving back to God, this money stuff. I like everything but that. Well, you know, I'm sorry. It's in there. <laughs> what you going to do? You're going to take, are you going to take his message that he's giving to you? I didn't make this stuff up. I'm just conveying it. He gave it to you. Are you going to take it or are you going to not? But don't slice the book up. And throw some pages away. I know I said and did stuff I shouldn't have. I know so and so is offended with me. I don't really want to go back and ask their forgiveness. Well, I think it says that in here. Are you going to take this book in its entirety? Are you going to, just, are you going to receive it? Or, you, or just... You know, if you're not, if you're just going to pick what you like in the book, 
Say, why don't you just leave? Who are you fooling? Why do you think you're a Christian? You just ignore pieces of the Bible. This isn't our Bible. It's God's. This message, we didn't make it up. So we can't edit it. We have to receive it. Amen? It belongs to God. And lastly, and we're running out of time. Fourthly, it is understood by faith. And it's good that we've run out of time here because I don't really even understand all of this completely myself. But that which I think I do, I pass to you. You notice there at the end of verse 4, it says, well, I'll read all of verse 4. Nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Faith comes into the pictures. It reminds me of Hebrews eleven three, the great chapter, chapter 11 about faith. And I love this verse. It says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. I love that verse. All these guys and women, you know, all these brilliant people that invent these um, unbelievable telescopes, the Hubble telescope, all this stuff. And they look, look out into the universes and they see stuff. And, they, and then we, they, they design these un, unbelievable satellites and they, you know, and, they, and use tremendous calculations. You know, how would you like to try to shoot something off here and have it go through one of the rings of Saturn? You think you could do it? You think you could figure out how to do that? I mean, this is, this is amazing stuff. And they shoot the stuff through there and they, we bomb the moon. And, and, and what are we trying to do? We're trying to figure out, is there life out there? Where did life start from? You know, how did, how did all this stuff happen? These are brilliant people. But Hebrews says, by faith, we understand. Amen. They understand a whole lot of stuff that I don't understand. But by faith, I understand that everything that we see did not come from what is seen. But it came, Hebrews says, by the word of God. He spoke. Pow! And the galaxy spun. But you don't get that. You don't understand that until by faith. And what is it about faith? Faith introduces you into that relationship with God. And I can't explain it all, but there's an element of faith that's needed to understand the things of God. People who aren't Christians can study the Bible and understand a lot about it, but there's still there's there's a there's a piece of it, the most important piece of it that they miss, because you you can only see it by faith. Faith is the entrance into a changed life. Faith is the entrance into the new creation that we become created anew. Our mind and our emotions and our will is all changed, and that starts with and continues with faith. And when we're in a relationship of faith with God, we understand some things. Now, we don't understand everything. He's made that clear. 
but we understand so much more than we, we did before. And so it is with this message that Christ gave the apostles and the apostles have given to us through the scriptures. It is understood by faith. And friends, that's what sustains us too when we don't understand. And there's plenty of that. When we don't understand the things that are going on in our life, it's not our intellect that, that enables us to walk through those times. It's not our intellect apart from faith. It's our faith relationship with God that enables us to hang in there until some of the pieces fall together later. Or, or they don't, and later we understand that we don't need to understand. It's understood by faith. This message, it's unchanging. It's trustworthy. It belongs to God, and it's understood by faith. Let's stand together to close our time. Let's pray. Father, we've looked at your, your word I pray that you would, you would speak to us, challenge us where we need challenged, instruct us where we need instructed, strengthen us, Lord, where we are weak. But we say to you, O oh Father, we are, we are thankful, Lord, that we do not have to rest our lives and our hopes on something that is untrustworthy. But we rest on you and your word. Strengthen us, O oh Lord. Make us readers of your word and believers in you. Help us walk with you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you all.